buddy. I love it. That was great. That was great. Yeah. Now, that's, that's crazy to say a warm welcome after you've just said he's been a pastor longer than I've been alive, you know? That's cold-hearted, Jacob. But uh, the shoe fits. I have had a rough morning, not just with what he just said. I just hopped in the bathroom in the back and, and was going to spray my hair so that it didn't move what hair I still have left. And uh, I sprayed it, and, and, and it was uh, actually in a perspirant that I used. So, uh, yeah. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but uh, if you smell my hair afterwards, it will smell really good and I won't be sweaty up there, okay? Uh, it's great to be back at Northside. I love this church. Uh, when I left Southeast, I stayed away from there for a while and, and just kind of helped to make that break. And so when I wasn't preaching somewhere, I would, I would drive all the way over here to worship with you all uh, 40 minutes because I love Nate Ross and I love this church. And I love the way you preach the Bible and the great welcome that you give to, to everyone. So uh, this place has meant a whole lot to me and I'm honored to get to be back again this summer. Um, let me ask you a question. How, how many of you all have, have ever broken a rib? Just put your hand up if you, if, if you can, right? Uh, it's not a very fun injury. Uh, it only hurts when you sneeze and laugh, cough, or breathe, right? And uh, I had uh, two broken ribs a few years ago. I had a bike accident. Uh, thank, thank Huffy, not Harley, all right? And uh, had two broken ribs in the first couple of nights. I mean, I, I could not sleep at all. It was just terrible, excruciating pain. So I called my doctor a couple of days later. And I said, hey, I said, I, I, I need some help here. I said, I, I can't sleep. He said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, with these broken ribs, he said, are you trying to sleep laying down or are you trying to sleep sitting up? I said, well, uh, laying down. He said, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. He said, you can't do that. He said, your, your first week of broken ribs, you have to sleep sitting upright in a, in a chair. I said, that, that's impossible. I said, no, nobody can sleep doing that. And and the next Sunday, I was in the middle of my sermon and I looked out at my congregation and It's possible. <clears throat> There's a lot of people at Southeast that do it quite well, too, I might add. But uh, I will try to keep you awake, all right, for, for the next, next few minutes. And uh, I, I thank Nate for the opportunity. I have such great respect for Nate and the way he's, he's leading in dynamic fashion here at Northside. And I appreciate the fact that we are all partners uh, serving the Lord. Uh, as Jacob mentioned, I served for 30 years at Southeast. We have a number of multi-site campuses around the region. And back in the fall of 2014, we were about to open another new campus. And about one month before the opening, I received a letter from a guy named Jason Isaacs. And he was the lead pastor of Hope City Church, a church that just so happened to be only a mile or so from where we were building our new campus. And when I saw the return address of where it was located, I kind of cringed and thought, oh, I wonder what this letter's gonna say, but let me read it to you. Dear Dave, we are located less than five minutes from Southeast new campus that you are currently building. It's common for churches to feel a sense of competition with each other for natural reasons. And we have even wrestled with some of those same emotions since we heard that you all are building a campus near us. But we want you to know that we believe in Southeast and what you are doing to reach this city for Jesus Christ. 
and we're praying for you as you launch your new campus. And we have included with this letter a financial gift for your building fund. This is a sacrificial gift from our church staff to let you know how much we believe in what you are doing and to remind us that we are a family serving this city together. And if your treasure is where your heart is, then we want our heart to be for your success. We are praying and we are believing with you. Pastor Jason Isaacs, Hope City Church. And uh, it was signed by five or six people, which was their entire staff. And at the time, I think we were around 100 times their size, and yet they sacrificially gave to us. So here's my question. How, how open are you to giving when it is undeserved or serving when it's not expected or loving when it's someone who is very different than you are? And today what I want to do is I want us to look at a story from the Bible that has a character in it with whom even non-Christians are acquainted, and yet he's an unsung hero. And and we know that he is an unknown hero as well because we don't even know his name. We just commonly refer to him as the Good Samaritan. And Jesus tells us the story of this man in response to a lawyer in a crowd where Jesus has been speaking. And the lawyer asks this question. He says, who is my neighbor? Right after Jesus has said to love your neighbor. He says, well, who, who is my neighbor? And that's how Jesus embarks upon this story. Look in your Bible at Luke chapter 10. We'll begin with, with verse 30. You know the story, but let's review it. In reply, Jesus said a man was, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So Jesus is about to showcase three possible attitudes when it comes to loving your neighbor. And here's the first attitude. And that's an attitude that says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. And that's what these men did with this, this man alongside the road. Now, people were familiar with the area which Jesus was talking about. If you went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it was a drop off of nearly 4,000 feet. And the road was very steep and it was winding and it was dangerous. It was a 17 mile narrow road. It was actually more like a wide path is what it was. And it had countless twists and turns. And as a result of that, it was possible for robbers and thieves to just have easy targets because of all the bends that went around. No wonder locals called that stretch the path of blood. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 that these thieves came along to steal. And the man's possessions and money were seized. And since clothing was so expensive back in the ancient world, the preservation of his clothing was a matter of importance to the robbers. And so they took his clothes. They left him naked and bleeding out in the broiling sun to die. And we hear this story and our first thought is, well, you know, I don't have to worry about this part of the story because I'm not a thief. I mean, I don't take what doesn't belong to me. But sometimes over time, we learn to kind of rationalize our own behaviors and we use softer terms in order to describe our thievery. We steal from work. We steal supplies, equipment, logo wear. We, we steal by not working on work stuff during work hours, but sliding in some of our own personal projects 
But we say, oh, I'm not stealing from work. It's just, it's just inventory management, we call it. And when it comes to filing our income taxes, we don't steal from the government. We, we rationalize it. We're just relocating, reallocating resources. Or do you remember back when COVID began and stores and, and churches had masks available for people when, when they would come in the building? And so what, what did we do? We all just kind of started stockpiling and loading up. You'd go in a place and you'd take two or three of those, those masks and put them in your pocket for future use. We, we call that uh, scarcity management, right? Or how about the first few weeks of COVID when all of a sudden there was a toilet paper shortage? Remember those days? When, when people would go into a business or go into a public bathroom, since they couldn't get toilet paper in stores, they would just start taking toilet paper and they would take it home with them. We call that wipe swipers, all right? That's the official name for it. And we even steal from God. And I know that's painful even to, to say out loud. And we say, oh, no, no, no not, not me. And yet we are oblivious to our thievery. You say, well, I, I would never do that. How, how could I possibly rob God? Well, he, he tells us in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, this is God speaking. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings? Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is the only place in all the Bible where God ever challenges us to test him on something. So if you understand what the Bible says, if, if you don't give 10% of your income back to the Lord, you are guilty of robbing God. And I know that sounds really, really blunt, but those aren't my words, those are his words. And if you've read or you heard God's expectation in his word on tithing and you have chosen not to do it, then you are saying to the creator of the universe, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Because we lack the trust that with 90%, he will make that go farther if we give him 10% than if we had kept the 100%. You know, really, if you think about it, it, it really has very little to do with finances and it has everything to do with your faith. It, it's a heart issue and you need to have a heart for others, a, a generous heart, the opposite of stealing is giving. It's easier though just to sit on the sidelines and not get involved. But as we will see, this, this man in the story, the good Samaritan, takes an interest and he gets involved and he gets invested. And that's what we're to do in our church and also in our community. Many of you have only been a part of, of Northside maybe for just a, a few years and you are benefiting from someone else's generosity. You are enjoying and benefiting because of how people shared and gave a decade ago. And you are sitting under the shade of a tree that you did not plant. But you'll never be able to make a difference and have an impact if your attitude is, what, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Well, back to Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells us of this Jewish man being robbed and, and badly beaten and left for dead. We pick up the story in Luke 10 and we pick it up in verse 31. 
it says a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So here's the second attitude that that both of these men displayed. And that was an attitude that said, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. I'm not gonna get involved. And we come up with all sorts of reasons why we don't get involved with helping and giving. And the priest and the Levite reasoned in their minds, oh, that guy should have known better than to ever walk on this, this road alone. I mean, he knows it's dangerous. He was just asking for trouble. Or you know what, there's no telling what he must have done to get such a bad beating. He probably deserved it. Have you ever said something like that uh, about a person when you see them in in dire straits? Maybe it's an addict. Maybe it's an, an immigrant. Maybe it's a homeless person. And perhaps you've convinced yourself like the priest or the Levite that you know what, I've got more important things to do than to deal with this right now. And, and, and you are just uh, saying to yourself, I'm sure someone else will come along and, and help out. And something within us kind of warns us that, you know, if I get involved, this is going to be kind of messy. When you give to Northside, you know that a good portion of your tithes and offerings are going to messy situations. They're, they're trying to help people who are in dire need. It might be widows, it might be orphans, it might be 70 students who would never get to go to something like Kingdom Conference if it weren't for your tithes and offerings. Northside supports partners, 30 different local ministries and nonprofit organizations, countless ones all across the globe. In fact, this, this October, I understand that 360 of you all will be going to Guatemala to build 14 homes and to do all sorts of, uh, of work in that region. I was just in Guatemala two months ago. There's so much you can do. And there's such a spiritual hunger there. But the Lord wants us, in addition to our church involvement, to get involved personally in helping people. And sometimes we're guilty of expecting the church to do something that we could do ourselves. And in those situations when we say, well, someone else will help or or, or the church will get involved, what we are essentially saying is, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. You ever been walking across a campus, maybe where you work or the the college where you uh, attend, maybe even here at church, you're just walking across and you you see some trash right right there and you're going to be walking right past it. What is it that we typically do? Well, if if you're not in the mood and you say, you know, I'm not going to do somebody else's job, what do we do? Even though we see it right there, we just kind of glance away and we just keep on walking or we kind of look the other way and act like we don't see it. It just makes me wonder how many times have I, have I done that with a, a homeless person? How many times have I done that with someone who is, is less fortunate? And, and, and what I've done is I basically have just reduced them down to a piece of trash. A person who God gave value to, a, a person who, who, who God created in, in their image. And yet as, as a result of it, we just kind of look the other way. And we just act like we're distracted and we just go about our own business and divert our eyes. That's what the priest and the Levite did. Somebody else can handle it. So the starting place when it comes to helping and giving and serving is to examine our own motives. Well, why do we give? Well, what's the reason behind it? 
Why do we help? Are our motives pure? And when we give, can we really do what the Apostle Paul says and give not reluctantly, but cheerfully? Last August, my, my wife Beth and I, we were in Houston. We were staying at, at a hotel for a couple of nights. And the first night as we were leaving, we were walking past the front desk. And we've kind of gotten in the habit of when we, we leave a hotel, we like to go past the front desk and just say, hey, can we pick you up anything? Or we're going to go get something to eat. Do you, do you want anything? And lots of times, usually there's not a restaurant in the hotel. And so they're like, oh, yeah, you mind picking this up for me? And, and, and they're very excited. But I said to this lady behind the counter, I said, hey, I said, we're, we're heading out. I said, can we pick you up anything? She did not hesitate. She said, I want a chocolate frosty, <laughs> chicken nuggets, and I like to dip my chicken nuggets in ranch dressing. I said, great. I said, we, we, we got it. No worries. So we headed out. We kind of always enjoyed the, this part of it because it kind of feels like an adventure to us. You know, we're, we're going to get something for them. And so we came back and I had all the stuff and I brought it up there with a smile on my face to the front desk and we handed it to her. And the first words out of her mouth, did you get the ranch dressing? <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I said, it's, it's all in there. And she kind of grunted, thanks. And just dove in and started eating and, and that's about all she said. So we kind of stood there for a second and then we headed off and we headed back to our room and we got talking about something else. And after we'd been in the room for a few minutes, I said, hey, I said, babe, I said, that, that gal at the front desk, she, uh, she wasn't real appreciative, was she? And Beth said, oh, no, no. Said, you know, we were going to get it for her, but she didn't even offer. You would think that she would even at least offer to pay for it. And I said, yeah. And I said, you know, and she, she kind of expected us to do it. And then Beth said, you know what? And before she even mumbled her thanks, she wanted to know if we remembered her ranch dressing. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what we were expecting. I, I really don't. I, don't. I don't know what I was expecting from her. I don't know if I was expecting her to personally walk us to our room and say, you will never know. You will never know what your generous purchase of that frozen chocolate treat, <laughs> coupled with that 10-piece pile of poultry. You will never know what that did for me. In the history of hotels, no weary traveler has ever displayed such generosity, unselfishness, and humility. You must be followers of Jesus. Baptize me in the hotel pool. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what we were expecting. I really don't. But it wasn't, did you get the ranch dressing? And the more we analyzed her response or the lack thereof, the more frustrated we both became. You see, when, Wendy's offers chicken nuggets in three different quantities. And I, I don't want to make a big deal about this, okay? My therapist says it's good for me to talk about. <laughs> but they have three different quantities. I, I got the largest quantity of chicken nuggets for her, all right? And I didn't have to do that. And finally, Beth and I kept going back and forth in the hotel room. Finally, I just said, you know what? If that's the gratitude she shows, then I'm not going to offer to get her anything tomorrow night. No soup for you. <clears throat> and, and then... There was this pause and there was this silence in our hotel room. And then Beth said, but you know, uh, her response should not determine our generosity. 
And she said, I, I mean, if it really is a gift, then, then we should give it to her regardless of if she's appreciative or not. And she was right. And, and, and what I'm saying is, if I only give when I think the recipient will be grateful, then, then I'm giving for the wrong reason. And if my motives are to receive a, a, a pat on the back or, or recognition, then it's not truly a gift. It's, it's just self-serving. And we run into problems when we want to make our giving or our generosity contingent on how much appreciation, notoriety, or thanks we receive. You give a million dollars gift to the hospital and you think, well, they better offer to name that hospital wing after me. You start double tithing and you think, you know what, Pastor Nate better give me a call because that ain't chump change I'm putting in the offering. You buy a Frosty and the large order of chicken nuggets. And that person had better look me in the eyes and give me a, a heartfelt thank you. But aren't you grateful that the God of the universe didn't have any qualifiers or contingencies before he sent the gift of his son, Jesus Christ? I'm so glad that before we surrendered our lives to Christ, he had already decided to give us his gift regardless of our response. We love because he first loved us. But I wonder at times if from God's perspective, we seem ungrateful for his generosity. Hey God, you know, nice of you to live a perfect life and oh yeah, thanks for paying for our sins. I appreciate that on the cross and all that. And oh yeah, and the eternal life thing. That's a, that's a big thing too, thanks for that. But, you know, I've been asking for some time for a, a good paying job and with, with health insurance and with good, good benefits. And, you know, I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And at times I, I feel like our apathetic and selfish response to God's ultimate gift must sound to our Heavenly Father like we're saying, did you get the ranch dressing? When the proper response should be falling on our knees in worship and gratitude saying thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. And God's generosity should inspire us to be generous rather than to say what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. Look back at Christ's parable. A Jewish man has been randomly attacked and robbed and, and left for dead. And a religious leader and a respected leader both walk by and do absolutely nothing to help. We pick up the story in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So here's the third attitude. What's mine is yours, I'll give it. And that's the attitude of the good Samaritan. Jesus says in the story, when the Samaritan man saw this man, he took pity on him. That word pity is better described as, as had compassion. It carries with it the idea of beneath the surface. It's this deep response where something shifts within you, inside of you. And it's interesting because this word is not used anywhere else in the scripture 
except to describe the way that Jesus himself feels for people. And yet the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. They had a long-standing prejudice against each other. It's tough for us even to comprehend the level of, of hatred for one another that they had. And, and if, if they had a journey that they were to take, they would walk miles and miles out of their way so that they wouldn't have to interact or even see one another. But Jesus said that this Samaritan man went to incredible lengths to serve and to give to this Jewish man who had been beaten within an inch of his life. Something stirred within him which ultimately allowed God to move through him. And sometimes love and compassion requires you to get messy when you get involved. And he paid for his lodging and he, he bandaged his wounds and he paid for his care and he promised to pay more if it ended up costing more. Love will always cost you something. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Last October, one of my, my closest friends died unexpectedly of a heart attack. His name was Bob Lygen. And Bob was one of the most generous people that I've, I've ever known. He just loved to anonymously dip into his resources and give to God and, and share with others. Didn't matter if he knew the people or not. That had nothing to do with it. He, he just liked to help people out. And when I was writing out his funeral service, I, I wrote down a list just off the top of my head of 15 different times that I knew he had been generous to someone else. And then I made a list of 15 times where he had been extremely generous to, to me or to my family. He would always give me a hard time whenever I would preach on the topic of, of giving or, or tithing. And afterwards he'd say, oh no, we got another shakedown sermon today. <laughs> and I said, what, what, what's a shakedown sermon? You're going to shake us down for every penny we've got. He said, after hearing your message, I don't even have any money left to buy lunch, right? But I'll tell you what, after every shakedown, he was always the first to step up. And at the end of his funeral, I did something I've never done before. I asked this question of the 250 people who were there. I said, if Bob ever went the extra mile by giving an unexpected, generous gift to you individually, or if he was just extremely generous to you in some way, would you raise your hand? And I'm telling you, 80% of that room shot their hand up. They couldn't wait to get their hand up to attest to Bob's generosity. His, his life displayed an attitude that says, what's mine is yours, I'll share it. You see, Bob just kept giving away his resources and God just kept giving it back to him. And Bob would give that away and God just kept giving it back to him. It's actually a pretty fun game to play if you really trust the Lord. You see, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And many of you here at Northside, you're just like Bob Lygen. And you have this joy in your life because you hold on to the things of this world so loosely. You see yourself more as a, a conduit rather than an accumulator. And giving to the church and worthing causes and, and giving to people in need has kind of become your default setting. Think of it like this, generosity will always seem counterintuitive until you try it and you get in the habit of doing it. And that's true whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. And when you honor him and return to him what is already his, you begin to look like the one in whose image you were made. 
For God so loved the world that he, and we look like him when we give. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, but it doesn't end there. After Jesus tells the story, he then goes back to the lawyer, this man in the crowd who asks this question of, who is my neighbor? And now Jesus comes to him and stands eyeball to eyeball, and he asks him a simple question. Verse 36, Jesus looks at the lawyer and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, uh, the one who had mercy on him? And Jesus told him, yes, go and do likewise. Jesus will always challenge us to go deeper in our relationships, deeper in our righteousness. Which of these three attitudes is, is the best description of how you usually live? What's yours is, is mine, I'll take it. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. What's mine is yours, I'll, I'll give it. Be thankful that you, you can come to Jesus just as you are, but that you will never leave him just as you came. About nine months ago, I, I got an unusual text message from a buddy of mine. It was unlike any text message that I'd ever received. He wrote that he had some money that he would like for me to give away to the ministry of my choice. And it was a substantial amount with a whole lot of zeros. And he said that I could choose any ministry I wanted. And I wrote back and said, wow, I've never had this happen. Thank you so much. I, I, I will look forward to uh, to coming up with some places. I said, do you mind if I choose more than one and divide it up? And he said, sure, you do whatever you want. And I'm telling you, I was like a kid in a candy store. I had so much fun the next two weeks just praying and pondering where God could use this money the best. And, and during that two-week stretch, I was flying back from preaching in Arizona and I was on my last flight into Louisville and I have my laptop out and I'm looking at these different ministries. I'm trying to allocate how much I would give to each one. And uh, I, I was praying and saying, Lord, just, just show me where you want me to give this. I closed my laptop up and when we landed, I was getting my, my stuff out of the overhead bin and a guy about four rows behind just hollered up and said, hey, Dave, said, we, we appreciate everything you and your church does in the community. I said, hey, thanks, man. Thank you so much. And when I got off the plane, I waited for that guy to, to get off the plane. And, and I started walking with him and we started talking. And uh, he told me his, his name. He told me he was a, a pastor in town. And, and uh, I said, uh, Jason, what, what, what's your last name? He said, my name's Jason Isaacs. And he was the guy whose letter I read to you at the start of this message. He was the pastor who seven and a half years ago, along with his staff, gave that sacrificial gift when Southeast was opening a new campus right down the road from him. And we talked, but I had never met him in person. And I told him how much their church's gift meant to our church. I said, you'll never know how it encouraged our church. I said, I, I don't even know how much it was that, that you gave. And he said, it was $1,000. And I said, for the five or six of your staff to give a $1,000 on top of what you were giving to your own church? I said, man, I said, it's unbelievable. I said, that's so generous. And in that instant, standing there in the, in the airport, I, I just realized what I was going to do with some of my friend's financial gift. 
And it's like the Lord just brought him to me. And a couple of weeks after that, I, I, I'd sk- scheduled lunch with Jason. And at the end of the meal, I had this check put in my pocket and I gave him a letter. I want to read to you what I wrote to him in the letter. We're just having lunch, you know. I said, the gift you and your church, the gift you and your church gave us seven years ago was a huge encouragement. I've always wanted your act of generosity to be multiplied. And now because of a a friend of mine and his obedience to God's prompting, and because of this friend's sacrifice and generosity, Hope City Church can be blessed. And then I wrote out this verse from Mark 10, verses 28 through 30. Peter spoke up and said, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. And he finished reading the card and I reached in my pocket. I handed him this check for his church. And we're sitting in McAllister's and he just starts weeping uncontrollably. And he just, he just can't get a handle. He just keeps crying. And when he's finally able to talk, he, he just holds the check up. He said, we've, we've been looking for a bigger place for us to worship so that we can reach more people. But it seems like every door has been shut. He said, I've become so discouraged in recent weeks. And I wondered if we should just stop our search and, and now you, you give me this. And I think that God is just saying, I'm here. I've got this for you. And our God is so creative with his unorthodox and unusual methods to, to get his money to different people and different causes at just the right time. We just need to be obedient to his leading. And on that day, I discovered that there is nothing more fun than giving somebody else's money away. Well, there is one thing more fun. And that's giving your own money away. The most joyful people I know are the most generous people. So start praying this prayer from Psalm 119, verse 36. Make me want to obey you rather than to be rich. What I'm saying is maybe it's time for you to plant a shade tree for someone else, to share your resources, to be a good Samaritan to someone in need. Maybe they're a stranger along the road. Perhaps it's a coworker. Maybe it's a relative who's in need. Jesus taught us so much about giving and about generosity. You can't look at a cross and, and, and not realize that Jesus is saying, what's mine is yours, I'll give it. And he gave everything that he had. He sacrificed because there was someone that he loved more than life itself. And you know who that someone was? It was you. It was me. And he would do anything for us. You talk about generosity. So please don't leave this this place today. If you have never made Christ the Lord of your life or if you need some help on, on that journey, you just want to talk to someone about that. Have someone pray with you. On your way out, out in, in the living room, there'll be some folks who would just love, love to talk with you.
And for those of you who are watching online, I just don't, don't let this moment pass. God gave everything for you with no strings attached. He didn't know what your response was going to be. He just gave, gave his own son for you. And you can reach out in the chat and just say, you want to talk to, to the host, you want to talk with someone, and they will reach out to you privately, and you don't need to let this moment pass. But here's a question that I have for all of you. If people were asked at your funeral, if you were generous, how many of them would raise their hand? Let's pray. Lord, teach us that an open heart cannot maintain a closed hand. Help us to choose generosity over selfishness to live a life that, that truly says, what's yours is mine, I'll share it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, I hope you'll be here next week. I know you're pumped up. Nate will be back uh, preaching. He's starting a seven-week series called I Am. It's gonna look at, at the, some of the statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. You won't wanna miss it. Invite a friend. Thanks for being here. I appreciate y'all.